So, in 2016, I have a question for you. Will you be a student of the world, or will you be a student of the Word? A student of the world, or a student of the Word? Well, we hope that you will be a student of the Word, and we're going to begin to introduce to you the overview of the, ne- of, of the first five books of the Bible in the Old Testament. So I want to cover with you real quick the outline that I have provided for you as well. We don't do this, this might be the first time we've actually done this, but I like to do this occasionally so that it'll just keep you engaged, keep you tracking along. So if you have the handout, everyone have one of those? If you did not get one of these, you may want to raise your hand. Anybody get one that wants one? All right. You can do it together as a family or as an individual. So let's go through this real quick before we get into the actual sermon part. So the Old Testament, why is it important that we even study the Old Testament, right? Because it's old. It's like 2015. It's over, right? But we, it's, we think it's important to study it for, for a few different reasons. For one, it's a real book with a real history of real people like you and me. Real people. So that's the first. Now here's what we want to do. When you fill in the blank, when you get the word for the blank, I want you guys to all say it out loud, all right? So let's practice, all right? So it's a real book with real history for real people. Everybody say, that was lame. Let's try it again. Work with me here, people. Here we go. Real history of real people. Thank you. All right? It is invaluable. (laughs) You're getting there. You're getting there. All right? It's the revelation of God. It's the demonstration of God in history. Therefore, it's invaluable to us. We must have it. So there's 39 books in the Old Testament. The first five books are called a few different things, but for one, they're called the Torah, which means the way to live. Written by a variety of authors, one divine author, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, some of you are into it now. All right. Over a span of a thousand years, one thousand, collected into a canon, and then exploded out to the rest of the world. That's not exactly what that means. But a canon is a measuring standard, okay? So they would have a measuring standard of what should be included in the Bible. Uh, Where was it written? Who was it written to? When was it written? What is in it? Is it significant? Does it have meaning and purpose? Why should we include it? So that's a measuring standard. And just, hey, just like a side sermon note, the Bible is a measuring standard for your life. How should I live? Who should I be? What kind of person does God want me to be? The Bible is a canon for your life, right? So Genesis, we'll just look at Genesis, kind of an overview of the book of Genesis. In the beginning, nothing. Then something. This is impossible, right? Without someone. There can't be something out of nothing without someone creating it. So there's creation, there's life, there's creatures, there's man made in God's image, right? Perfection. Now, when I say man, I'm not leaving you women out. It's mankind. It's all of us included. We, we know there would not be an existence without women in the world. God saved the best for last. He created woman, right? Come on, women. Give me some amens out of that. You're like, yes. There's a guy next to you, elbow him, said, I told you, best for last, all right? Right here. Okay, wouldn't be wouldn't be possible without you. Perfection is corrupted by the fall of man. Humankind degenerates for generations. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? You can watch the news. Sin 
separates. In the beginning, sin separated man from God. They were evacuated from the garden. You cannot be here any longer because sin separated. God judges the world with a what? What does he judge the world with? Some of you should know the answer to this question. A flood, right? But he spares one righteous man, Noah and his family, which I think that's really significant too. He adds in there his family because, gentlemen, when you finally get it and you start walking with Jesus, guess who's going to get the blessing? Your family. Your family's going to be blessed. Your children, and then their children, their children after that for generations. When you start walking with Jesus, God's going to bless your family. Man rebels again again at the Tower of Babel. The result is division and dispersion. And the languages are spread out all throughout the earth. A new beginning happens. God's faithfulness to Abraham and his what? His family. He blesses Abraham's family. That's good news for you and me. But Abraham's, but, I guess we can go to the next story, but Abraham's prosperity leads to Israel's slavery. Okay, so let's jump in. So some scholars claim that maybe Job was the first book written. Job is an interesting book if you've ever read it. It's pretty fascinating. Some say that it was the first book written even before Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and on. Um, So Job might have been the first book. We don't know for sure. But we're going to look at the first five in our canon, our measuring standard. We're going to look at the first five books in this Bible. So Genesis literally means the beginning. Start at the beginning. First five books, they've been called the Torah, the Book of the Law, or the Pentateuch. And Moses is the author of all five books. I love James. James is here, and he's like into this. He's leaning in. He's like excited. Man, way to go. Good job. He'll be asleep here in just a little while, though. Get you all put him to sleep. So Genesis uh, means the beginning, which we are at the Genesis, right, of a new year. Beginning of a new year, 2016. One thing you have to understand when you read the book of Genesis, it wasn't written to answer all of the questions of life. For one, what about evolution? What about evolution? All right, we we believe it gives us the answer because we see the creation story, but it doesn't talk about that. It doesn't give you that answer. What about the dinosaurs? Are the dinosaurs in there? Were the dinosaurs on the ark? Was the ark big enough to house dinosaurs? Yes, if you read the dimensions of it, probably was. But that's not the reason why Genesis was written, not to give us those answers. But it has given us everything that we need to know about him and to be in relationship with God. And that is the purpose of the Bible, really. That is the purpose. So, there was the life before the fall. That was the beginning of creation, man in the garden, imperfection. And then there was life after the fall, the beginning of God's plan then to redeem or restore his creation. It is the greatest comeback of all time. Now, last, I didn't get to see the game, but I woke up and read about it. Um, How many of you watched the TCU game yesterday? Any football fans out there? Talk about a comeback, 31 points down with a backup quarterback. You were thinking, just forget about it. Just, you know what, season's over. It's a great year. Let's, Let's start again next year. But they came back and won. You know, even though that's amazing, that's nothing compared to the comeback God is beginning in the book of Genesis after chapter 3. The comeback begins. The first 11 chapters of this book are foundational for the rest of the Bible.
Bible. So if you want to read the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, you'll get a good foundation, a good idea of what the rest of the Bible is all about. And here are some major themes that we're going to see throughout the Bible. For one, the sovereignty of God. Okay? God is in control. Even though it looks like this major theme of the sinfulness of man. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah, just go look in the mirror. <laughs> the sinfulness of me. It's all throughout the Bible. And then there's this incredible promise that mercy will triumph over judgment. That there is a promise of redemption. The comeback is coming. Just hold on. Just wait. It's not over till it's over, right? Till the last whistle blows. These major themes are my story major themes are your story. Like it says, even in the midst of great chaos, God is in control. Hopefully that will help you to know that in the coming year. And I don't, we don't know what the new year looks like, right? We can look back at 2015 and we can see pretty clearly, though some of us a little fuzzy. We can look forward. We know that God is sovereign. Even if great tragedy occurs in 2016, we pray that it does not. God is still there in the midst of it. He's still there. You see, God extends grace to a family. And their father's name is Abraham. It's, a, it's an election. God elects Abraham by his grace. And some would say, well, I don't know about this whole election thing. Why does he choose Abraham and not choose somebody else? By God's grace, we have no idea. Why does God even choose us? Why does he even let us breathe one more minute in the life that we live? We have no idea. But it's by his grace, his undeserved favor, God chooses to bless Abraham. And his grace extends through Abraham and his son Isaac. You know the story about, about Abraham and Isaac. We'll read it in just a minute goes from Isaac to Jacob, and Jacob receives a blessing. He schemes his brother out of the blessing. God is even in control of that mess and still uses that mess. Matter of fact, if you want to feel good about your dysfunctional life, just read the story of Jacob. <laughs> just read about his his mind and ours family. I mean, just mix of family. People all over the place and, and servant girls and he babies with this baby and sons and all this stuff. But God, through Jacob, blesses blesses us. It's the story of Joseph. How God uses Joseph in the midst of some pretty difficult circumstances. We see his grace. This thought of you don't deserve it, but he gives it to you anyway. We see glimpses of Jesus all throughout. All throughout the Bible. And immediately in the book of Genesis, we see a prophetic look forward when Jesus crushed the head of Satan. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. You see where it talks about the, the serpent will strike the heel and the man will crush the serpent's head. We see that. Jesus will complete the comeback on the cross. He crushes the head of Satan. We start seeing that picture early in the book. 
turn, turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 22. given him this mantle of leadership. What kind of man do I have? Is he going to be up to the test? Gentlemen, you can expect God to test you. See your mettle, if you will. Like, do you have what it takes? Sometime later, it said God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, Abraham said, here I am. And God said, take your, your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. God, what? This is in the Bible? Some of you kids are getting a little nervous now. My parents are going to be asked to sacrifice me. <laughs> I doubt it. Sometimes he's giving you up to the Lord. Into his hands. Say, alright God, they're yours. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for a place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I go, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Can you imagine what Abraham was thinking when he said that? We will worship and then we will come back to you deep down inside, Abraham's like, I pray that we will come back. I mean, I know I'm coming back. Not so sure about Isaac. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up to his father and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering with my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and you have not withhold, withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of, you, of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. 
blessed today because of that. Do you get that? You sit here blessed today because of one man's decision to be obedient in a very difficult time of testing. We are blessed because of that today. Turns on turns out to be some extremely significant words in this book as we look forward and we see that Jesus is later on called the Lamb of God. He becomes the sacrifice. He takes away the sin of the world. His death and his resurrection, it says, defeated death. And what does it do? It crushes the head of the enemy. In Genesis 3, chapter 15, or verse 15, it was already pointing to this day. And we also see in, in Genesis chapter 29, that when Jacob is blessing his sons, he pronounces a blessing over his son Judah. Blesses him, and out of Judah's line comes the line of the tribe of Judah. You cannot have the rest of the Bible without the beginning. You have to have this. God goes on to make covenant with his people. He starts out with a covenant with Adam contractual agreement that goes basically like this. If you will listen to me, and you will do what I ask you to do, you will experience life, perfection. But if you don't, you're going to experience death. You know, that's no different today. You and me. We, as human beings, have proven it out to be true, right? That when we do not fulfill this contractual agreement, we don't do our part, we experience the death that comes with it. And it started in the very beginning of time with Adam. He establishes this thought of, obey me, live. Disobey me, die. Noah, build a boat, right? He says, Noah, you build this boat, you and your family, they will live. If you don't build this boat, you will die like everybody else. After the flood, then he gives the rainbow, right? That's that promise. He says, I will never destroy the earth again by a flood. And then Abraham, we just read about it. He tells Abraham, your, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. He says, I will bless you because of your obedience. Another benefit that we get from this book, we'll finish up in a minute here is we see the flaws of the main characters in the story. Now, these flaws are given to us, not so that we can just say, well, look, they blew it, and I've blown it, so I guess I'm in good company, so I'm not any different than they are. Well, that's true. And we're not even given these characters to, to emulate them and say, well, you know, I just want to be more like David, or I want to be more like Joseph, or more like this guy, because we see they're not perfect, too. But we see these flaws, I think more importantly, so that we can also see perfection in the one that is to come. You see how incredibly different he is compared to any man that ever lived in history. We also know that if God can work through them, he can also work through you. And that's good news for you and me. Here's what I want to finish up with. I'll go ahead and have the band if you want to come on up. So, 
talking about when you're doing this in Genesis. She got in this new devotional this year from Beth Moore. Any Beth Moore fans out there? You guys know who Beth Moore is? Bible teacher. And, uh, now I wouldn't say that Beth Moore is like my go-to, like, you know, get inspiration from. You know, she's really good. She, she's, she's wears me out sometimes because she's so, she's so passionate, so deep. And even for me, I'm like, okay, it's enough, it's enough. But she had this devotional, and in it, day one was about Genesis. And so I thought, oh, it'd be interesting. So my wife read it to me, and I thought it was profound enough and fit well enough that I want to share this with you this morning. Can you imagine the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on the seventh day of creation? When it was all complete, everything that God had made, pronounced it good. You know that created in God's image, you are good. Even when you've proven to not be so good, in God's eyes, you are good. As they rested and looked upon the very good work that they had accomplished, one planet had been tended like no other to our knowledge. Perfectly placed in the universe with adequate distance from sun, moon, and stars to sustain human life, it was chosen, the planet Earth was chosen for divine infiltration. For God so loved the world, Scripture doesn't tell us that He loved the sun, the most impressive of the heavenly bodies that we can see, nor are we told that He loved the stars, even though He knows every one of them by name. John goes out of his way, however, to tell us that God loved the world. In a universe so vast, so incomprehensible, why does God single out one little planet to love? Beloved, absorb this into the marrow of your bones because we are on it. Because you and I are on the planet. That's why God loves the world. As despicable as humanity can be, God loves us. Inconceivably, we are His treasures, His prize creation. You know the greatest treasure chest of all is a human who has the Holy Spirit living in them. But that is reality. God can't help it. He just loves us so much, in fact, that He did something. He gave His one and only Son that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. He gives us the opportunity to come back to experience life the way it was meant to be experienced. Dear one, let it fall afresh on you this new year. I myself have been overcome with emotion that Elohim, the Hebrew name for God, is so huge and we are so small, yet the vastness of His love, so high, so wide, so deep, and so long, envelops us like the endless universe that envelops a crude little planet that God first called Earth. That, ladies and gentlemen, is enough to cause us to, as Paul says, forget about what is behind. Press on 
toward the goal that God is calling you to. And the goal is to know Him even more. To love Him and to love others and to experience eternal life the way we were supposed to experience life in the beginning before man messed it up. God's mercy today, His amazing grace is available to you and to me. Let us pray. So Father, we praise You and we thank You. Thank You for this grace that is amazing. Thank You for the story, our story, that started in the Genesis in the beginning and continues on to us today and it's going to continue on through us tomorrow as we continue to experience Your mercy and, and Your love for us. Pray that You would encourage men in this room to take on this challenge to be all you've called them to be so they can be a blessing to their, their family. I pray for those who are still single, who are waiting to be in that place where they can start a family to experience your, your love and your mercy and your grace in the midst of a family setting. I pray for all of the, all of the regret and shame of 2015 that we would just forget about it, leave it behind. Learn from it, yes, but leave it behind for sure and move forward into this new year that you have given us, this gift you have given us in 2016. Pour out your love and mercy on families, on wives, on children, so that we can all be what you've created us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.